Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson, and his wife, Carlotta, and daughter, Hannah Miller. So listen up, because the doctor is in. Today I'm sharing with you part two of a two-part story about a very good friend of mine, Chris Davis, who survived two and a half months in the hospital on a ventilator after contracting COVID. The story is shared by he and his wife, Donya. It's an amazing story of survival, the intrepid devotion of his wife, Donya, and the extended family, and the untiring prayers of many family and friends. I am delighted to bring to you this story of amazing survival and persistence. I think you will be delighted to hear this story. This is part two of a two-part podcast. Well, now, you were told all along the way that he was not going to survive and that he might need a lung transplant if he did survive? Not all the way. Um, It was when he got tuberculosis. Well, no. When they thought he had tuberculosis, they were testing him for it. He did not have tuberculosis. Um, That doctor that saw him um, the day that he was in there put in his record that Chris needed a lung transplant, but he would not survive a lung transplant because his body was too weak. And so um, I went to his the other doctor. He was in like an overflow ICU at that point. And, um, and I asked that doctor, you know, I hadn't heard anything about him needing a lung transplant. And he just basically said he was going to defer to what the other doctor said and that he didn't really have an opinion. And so I, at that point, hadn't heard that he was, they, you know, where he was going to die. Um, nobody said that to me until, uh, I think <laughs> this is one of the God things that took place because um, Casey you know, was one of his best friends, Wiley, and he he would come in a couple times a week as a deacon to just, you know, pray with Chris and stuff. And Casey just happened to be there that day, and we got pulled out, or I got pulled out of um, the room to talk to the doctor and I asked Casey to come with me. And that was the first time that he had told me, um, that Chris was going to die. He said, there is no coming back from where he is. And I asked about like the ECMO, ECMO machine, all, all these all, things yeah. that I had heard, like yeah. people are getting and are helping. And he said, none of it will help, um, that he will not survive and he will not leave this hospital alive. And, Casey, I'm so glad he was there because I would have been hearing all of that alone. And um, that's one of the God things that just his timing of it all. And so then within a few days, Chris uh, went into septic shock Mm. and um, his doc, he had a different doctor over him that weekend. And um, she told me, and I had his, at this point, he could have two visitors a day. So his mother-in-law or my, his mom, my mother-in-law started coming in and we like took shifts. So she was there that day at the same time. And, um, the doctor said he would not survive the weekend because he went into septic shock and had all kinds of other things going wrong all at one time. That's when we did a call to prayer. It's like my sister put it out that, um, we needed people coming to his window. I had a balloon in his window that he had had with him for weeks. And everywhere, every time he'd move, this little balloon would go with him. <laughs> and so I stuck the balloon in the window and I was up with him. And my mom called and said, come look out the window. 
And I went and looked out his window and there is easily 50 people, family, friends, coworkers, <laughs> like everybody at his work came. And my dad led everybody in prayer and my brother read scripture and our good friends were there. And um, while my dad was praying, this little girl, Savannah, who at the time was four, four or five, put her arm around our son and just like, it's the sweetest picture uh, because, uh, you know, they, they didn't, they thought they were losing, you know, Chris uh, too. Yeah, yeah. And so just the comfort that she was trying to bring, bring our oh, son at the man. time who was uh, 11. But that picture was, uh, I would see it in my room cause Donya had made a, you know, I had a wall of pictures yeah. on my wall and Every time I would go from hospital to hospital or different changes, that picture was there. And it wasn't till my final stay uh, going through rehab that I was sitting there with uh, Josh and Katie, my brother and sister-in-law. And Katie, I was staring at the wall and she's like, what are you staring at? I was like, that picture is going everywhere, but... For the life of me, I do not remember that picture. And she's like, didn't Donya tell you? And I said, well, Donya was always holding back because I did struggle a lot with anxiety, uh, depression, and a lot of other things while I was in, which is way out of the norm for me. But I was just so on edge that I think she would hold back information to not do a dump on me. And so finally... Katie pulls up the bigger picture, and that's where I heard about the story where throughout the day people would show up and were praying outside my window, and I saw the bigger picture uh, with Savannah, and so it's it's crazy because I've even asked uh, Todd and Sarah, the parents, because uh, they're good friends of ours, can I get this blown up? I like to hang it on my wall because <laughs> to me it's a... It's a true depiction of of uh, of love between friends, especially mm, right. at, at that age, and it just it meant so much to even see what it was all a part of, yeah. and and so yeah, to me it was I didn't get to find out till near the end. I was actually having uh, Thai food with Josh and Katie because they brought it, and you know you get you try to think of everything you can talk about because. When you're stuck in a room all day long and staring at walls and yep, just right. watching TV, you try to, and so it was a good conversation that evening to kind of hear a little bit about what has gone on or transpired some up to that point. All right. Well, that brings me to a good question. When people get sick and they're facing possible death, friends and family, offer, they don't know what to say. They don't know what to pray, what to do. Prayer should be our first go-to, but, you know, our human tendency is to try prayer last. What sorts of things did you hear from the people that loved you regarding prayer? I don't know if this is the right answer, but it's, for me, I mean, with the, um, you know, putting all my posts on Facebook, people started sharing. Yeah. And people started, you know, we were getting cards from, I mean, we have hundreds of cards, and I kept every single one. People will, I'll never meet. Yeah. that were praying. And um, I would get messages from like, like our old pastor that, you know, the church that we were going to when we met yeah, as yeah. kids, you know, uh, wrote, you know, reached out, you know, we're praying, we're praying. And I mean, I we know not to get off this subject, but 
our daughter, Mackenzie, um, I almost lost her when I was pregnant at 20 weeks. Um, I remember. Well, seven, yeah, 17 weeks, we were told, you know, she was not going to survive that pregnancy. And so I, again, out on Facebook, like, please pray because yeah. I don't want to lose another child. And um, she wasn't supposed to survive. Her lungs weren't supposed to be developed. And so I saw then when you call people to pray, it's, it's, it's literally I see in my head an army of people. Mm-hmm. And it's like there's, no, there's nothing that get, can get past that. Right. And that um, is what I, I feel the faithful, the people who are so faithful, even to this day I get messages that we're still praying every day. Mm-hmm. And yep. It's, yep. Um, there's just no denying that that, that is he had an army. Yeah, I have a brother that I pray with on Thursday mornings who lives in North Augusta. And I was telling him about Chris, and he said, oh, oh, I know who he is. I have a, I have a group of brothers down here that, that pray for him every oh, week. Wow. <laughs> and, it, and I'm like, are you for real? He said, yeah, yeah. yeah we have, there's people down here that pray for him. I've come across people um, and just in random random ways that so oh you're that Donya yeah we were praying you're Chris's wife I'm like yeah and just random people somehow the conversation gets up comes up and that they were praying for him and they didn't even know us and I think it just says a lot yeah yeah all right there's a lot of debate about the vaccines and you guys have been through a lot and what's your what's your position and stance about the COVID vaccines I don't want to be told that I have to do something and if it's being mandated like it was or stating that I can't do something unless I have a vaccine, that it raises a lot of concern up front about that. Well, where's the testing? Where, where's everything that's stating this is right? I mean, look at to where we're at today. Now that everybody's starting to backpedal and make their statements like, well, maybe we shouldn't have gone this route or maybe we should have did things differently. It, the fear that was inflicted on everyone to jump to get vaccinated, uh, uh, to me, is just, uh, I don't quite, I don't want to say it without sounding like bashing people that decide to do it, because that's mm. not the case. Yeah. It, it comes down to the individual's rights right. to make a choice. Mm-hmm. So if that individual feels like they need to be vaccinated, then I, hey, that's great. Great mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. But it's not great for me because I don't feel convicted enough to be wanting to get vaccinated. You're a husband and a father. How did that experience being in the hospital affect your relationship with your spouse? Oh, <laughs> I get asked, what do I take away from the whole picture of all yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. And my number one, obviously, is it, it, it shows, it gives glory to God. Mm-hmm. The fact that I'm here is through the power of prayer. Mm-hmm. That's the number one thing that I see. And then a wife's devotion. I mean, she was constantly at that, at my bedside through thick and thin, wouldn't even give up. I saw fought. that brother. I saw it. Yeah. I saw it. Um, and for those that know Donya, Donya is not the outspoken one. She's not going to go for the confrontation, but to hear the stories today, how she's changed, and she is the confrontational one. She was a bulldog, right. I tell you. Right. And, it, and it's very unlike her. You're right. Yes. And so... Um, 
She was standing by her man. Isn't that a country song? (laughs) (laughs) So ultimately, I I think it it just, I mean, heck, we've been together since high school. And there's no doubt that I I chose the right one at a young age. I'm telling you, bro, you did. um, did. Well, now, what's your life like now? I mean, you've been out of the hospital how long now? A little over a year. I got home March 3rd of 2022. Are you disabled? To the medical system, yes. But uh-huh. to me, no. I do have a handicap placard so I can be a little closer. And I think as the days go on, I'm slowly getting away from it. When I first got home, I, I remember walking from the living room couch just to go to the bathroom and my oxygen, it, it just took me out and I was whooped. How low, how low did your oxygen drop then? I think the lowest I got was 49%. Now I can walk around the house. I walk around work. Um, without oxygen? Without oxygen. Uh-huh. I'll put it on at night just to be safe. Just to be on the safe side, and I'll go to sleep with it. Just, But I toss and turn more and more these days. So it's it's knocked off, and I wake up, and I'm like, oh, I don't have it on. Let me just put it back on. Mm-hmm. But I have no monitors or no more of the beeps and dings for things getting too low. And But you're back to work. I'm back to work. I went back to work two weeks after getting out of the hospital. Oh, my goodness. Um, it's kind of a funny story, really quick. <laughs> uh, good friend of mine that I work with, Kelly, he came and picked me up because he was up at the office, our owner of the company, and some others were at the office. And he wanted to come grab me and just walk around and say hi to everybody. I was like, cool, I get out of the house, get somebody to take me through the drive-thru and get something else to eat uh-huh. that's not at the house. So so made all the arrangements, and Donya was so upset, dead set against it. I remember her yelling out the door to my buddy that, you're such an enabler, <laughs> you can deal with him. And so... Um, it was only supposed to be for a couple hours, turned into like four or five hours. Uh-huh. Freedom. Freedom. It was like, but <laughs> out of the two of us, I'm the, I'm always the outgoing, not outgoing, but I'm the, I'm the people person. Yeah, yeah. I like, I interact with people. I like to be around friends, family, all that. So you were energized. I was in it. Well, I didn't realize this. So when I got home. Of course, I had to. We had to bring her Starbucks because she uh, had to sweeten her up. Yeah, that's right. Oh, she was hot, and uh, <laughs> got home. And I guess that evening, though, I was actually engaged back at home, talking with the kids, moving around, uh-huh. doing things. Yeah, yeah. Actually, coming out of the room. Yeah, and not depressed. Right, and so she comes up. She's like, "I can't believe I'm going to say this." You need to go back to work. Uh, that's right. I'm like, what? You for since you've been home, you barely come out of that room. You don't say anything to anybody. You don't do nothing. You're just you're not you. Yep, yep. You go to work. You come back, and it's like a whole new you. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if that's a, something I want to take as a compliment, <laughs> or or hurry up and just get out of the house. Um, so. I, I start back uh, working eight hours a day. 
had friends come pick me up in the mornings. They'd show up after I had therapy sessions to pick me up, and I'd go to the office. And it would rotate, you know, kind of, yeah, just working around the five days a week. All right, last question. What are the lasting impacts from all of this experience have you identified on your life, and most importantly, your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? For me, it's one of the big things I took out of it is to wait on Him and that it's okay to wait on Him. And a lot of the time in the hospital when He, you know, had a tube down his throat or a trach in his throat, he couldn't talk. And how many chest tubes at one time? I think he had, at one time he had four, but I think he had a total of six or seven chest. Yeah, he has all the scars. He looks like he got shot. (laughs) I remember. (laughs) But my big thing was I'm not, I'm not patient. I don't like to wait on anybody. And you don't like not being in control. No, I do not like that. But just going back to my childhood, I just kept singing over in my head in his time, in his time, all things, you know. And I would sing that over and over. And How's it go? Sing, tell, tell my audience how it goes. I will not sing it. Don't sing it. Just tell in them how it In his time, in his time, he makes all things beautiful in his time. That's right. Isn't and, that beautiful? That's so powerful, though. And that's, it just came out of nowhere one day when I was getting really frustrated with everything, with just the whole situation. And that that was the big thing. That And also Jehovah Jireh was... You know, he's going to provide whatever, well, it's whatever just, he see, needs. It's, but. it's a critical turning point in all of our lives when we understand that there's so much in life that's not in our control. Yeah. And, you know, you were powerless that whole time. Everything that happened to him was out of your control. And when you come to realize in, in all of our life, not just when your husband's on the ventilator, but in all of our life, there's so many things that are totally out of our control. And we have to learn to give it to God. You know, and that's freedom. There's freedom in that. There's freedom in that because then you begin to rest in Him. Yeah, I had I had people asking me. I mean, lots. I mean, messages too. Like, how are you not going crazy? And as I am, I am. It is my nature to go crazy. I I get anxiety very easily, and I'm an overthinker. And um, people thought I was calm. And you, you were done. That's not I my character, that, though. That and you were calm, and it was amazing to me. That's that was divine because that's not who I am, and um, and so that that was the other part is I knew that mm-hmm. that I wasn't walking it, alone. It was and, it was God's grace, yes, and I, I observed that I really did. Yeah, I did. Yep. I, you know, for me, it was more because I was I was truly out of a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Until near the end. Was he still out of it? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong person to ask. (laughs) But I got got a good friend of mine that I look up to at times, and we got to talking about the biblical aspect and and God and everything through everything I went because he's one that's trying to say you need to write a book. Because we just got caught alone one day, and he goes, so... What do you take from all this? And I'm like, you know, honestly, I don't know. And I don't know why I was the one saved by God's mercy, his grace to be here. I I don't know. And I was like, and he goes, I said, I just want to flip it. What's your thought? And he goes, you know, I'm I'm glad you asked me that. And he said, as sinners... 
everybody looks at the wow factor in something. But to God, it could just be a simple act of kindness to him. But for us as the sinner, we're looking at that wow factor. How are we going to please God? How are we going to do this from anything? And so that has gone on even to this day to resonate because I, I keep thinking in my own head, you know, I, I went through this big ordeal and was saved. And what do I do now? What Obviously, I can, you know, hey, I thank the Lord. But what do I, as a sinner, what do I have to do, though, to give that thanks in return? And I think with what my buddy was telling me is it's it's not up to us to decide what it is. It's just you continue on. And it could be as little as sitting and doing a public speaking event or or a podcast and explaining your story for others to hear what's going on. And that helps spread the word. And just like prayer itself, it spreads so much through people we didn't even know and getting the letters sent to us and words of encouragement that it's the little things you drop the pebble in the water and it just ripples out. And to God, me being saved is that little pebble being dropped and what's who's going to be touched now from all of this and so ultimately at the end of the day you know I thank the Lord for everything he's done for me thank him for my wife my children my friends family I mean it's going to be interesting to see how things continue to ripple out that's right exactly right well I thank you all for sharing your story it's a fascinating story, and it's a, it's a story of God's goodness and God's grace, and now you go forward living every day for the glory of God. Well, you're listening to More Than Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Jackson. I thank you for your kind attention. Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information about the Jackson Family Ministry, Dr. Jackson's books, or to schedule a speaking engagement, go to their Facebook page, Instagram, or their webpage at jacksonfamilyministry.com. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Production at bobsloan.com.